0: Well, it's good to see you here this morning. Glad you made the choice to get out of bed and get rolling and get going. Glad you're here. We're uh, continuing in a series. We're working through the book of Romans, and uh, we're actually in Romans 4 here this morning. You can start turning your Bibles there or tablets or phones or whatever gets you there. That'd be great. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, we'd love for you to use the Bible from the chair in front of you. I looked up the page number. It's page 941. So there you go. Well, I would like to ask a question. How many of you would consider yourself to be a visual learner? Consider yourself to be a visual learner, and in fact, when somebody just rattles off a bunch of facts and details, you kind of hear the, the Charlie Brown teacher, wah, 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 You need to see it for yourself. You're visual. You like to actually see an example, a tangible picture, if you will, and some of us uh, are, are, are definitely lean more that direction than others, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know I'd probably lean that direction. You can see it in church services, you can see who starts to kind of slide down in their chair as the facts keep rolling off, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the ears perk up as a, the, the person gets to a, a sermon, and I was realizing as I was thinking about this, I'm like, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that slips down. My, my, many elbows have been felt for my wife for that exact reason in sermons uh, because I'm a visual learner. I like to see pictures and not just hear about it. Well, that's good news for us this morning because Paul recognizes that about his audience, that they don't want to just hear the facts. They want to see a picture of what grace is. Last week, you might remember, we concluded with this. Paul moved us towards this conclusion in Romans 3, 28. He said this, he said, We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, we're not justified by our works, it's solely by faith. So he presented this idea, but now he's going to point us to an actual picture, a picture of of grace, if you will. Let me pray for us before we dive in and see it. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for the way you choose to communicate to us, even through your word. It's lots of pictures, lots of stories, lots of examples. You just didn't write a, a manual or a textbook. You wrote through story, through the way you interacted with people over generations, God. And we just pray that you'd speak to us through this story, that we have a clearer picture of your grace because of what Paul presents here this morning. We invite you now to speak to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So starting in uh, Romans 4, and we're going to do something impressive this morning. We're going to get all the way through chapter 4. <laughs> so uh, get comfortable. No, we'll try to work fairly quickly through it, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. We're going to start just with the first couple verses here where we see pointed out the ultimate example of grace the ultimate example says what then shall we say was gained by abraham our forefather according to the flesh for if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before god but not before god we'll stop there just think for a moment what i've noticed in paul's writing is he has a knack at really stirring the pot and getting his audience Fired up a bit. I don't know if anybody else has the spiritual gift of poking. Anybody else admit to that? Like you're really good at, at pushing people's buttons. That you, I see some wives giving some nudges right about now. But uh, but but some, Paul, I think, does a really good job of, of stirring up. And when you first read this, you might not see that. I don't, I don't know who else is a, a poker in here. We didn't. We weren't clear on that. But when I was in in high school, or I'm sorry, in college, I had a roommate. His name was Neil. He was about 6'3", about two twenty, just ripped, just solid muscle, played soccer on defense was all stayed all something or other and, and I, I remember uh, seeing him bench three hundred and fifty pounds I mean pretty impressed with that and, uh, and, uh, but I for some reason, I like to just aggravate and push his buttons to say things about him and, and, and do things and he 'd come beat me up, and then he 'd be walking away and say something else about his mom or something and then uh, and then get another beating i don 't know what it is with college students and talking about mothers, but uh but I had the, the spiritual gift of poking. Well, Paul here is definitely poking his audience. Let me explain why. What is it, what does he present as his example of for of someone that's justified by grace? He points out Abraham. Abraham. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, the 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 reason that's a big deal. Is because Abraham was like the, the pinnacle of pinnacle. He was the one that they had elevated to almost godlike status in that faith system. They were usually, the, the rabbis would be using him as an argument or a case why somebody is justified by doing good works because of the whole Isaac thing and the leaving his land and all of these things. They kind of breezed past all the biblical examples of his shortcoming. Who is was even considered to be somebody without sin. So Paul, in, in his writing, he's going right for it. He's going to the person that they considered would be the person that would be based on human works. He said, you know what? I'm gonna go straight for your hero of self-righteousness and I'm gonna point out that even he falls short on the works category. Even he's not elevated because of that and you see, there's a lot at stake with this argument because he's saying, man, if, they, if I can convince them that he wasn't justified by works, then really I've got it covered because nobody else would be as bold to say that they were no, more noble or righteous than Abraham. Does that make sense? So a lot at stake with this argument here. And so what does he say? He says, verse two, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. I was like, wait a second. So the, the listeners like, what do you mean? You're trying to say that he he can't boast before God? He's like, nope, not before God. You see, the truth is anybody that thinks that we can earn our way to God has too small a view of God's holiness. If we think we can earn his favor, that, that's why Isaiah 64 is real clear that our, our, our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. It's not going get to get it done. It's not going to happen. So right out of the gates, he's stirring the pot and he's saying, nope, he doesn't please God. Even though you all think he's justified, his works are not what justify him. Look in verse 3 now what is he, he before they get a chance to, to shoot him or stab him or whatever, he, he makes the case for why. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, and to the one who does not work, but believes in Him ju- who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, as righteousness just as david also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom god counts righteousness apart from works he quotes here blessed are those who are whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is is the man against whom the lord will not count his sin so basically he starts before they get a chance to rebuttal his opening remarks he says before, he says, listen, let's, let's look at what Scripture says. He says, let's go to the truth source we can all agree upon. What does Scripture say? That's a great thing for us to, to, to come back to instead of getting going off on our own tangents. What does Scripture say? Then he quotes Genesis fifteen six in this section. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I'm sure a lot of them had to pause and think about that for a second. Wait, wait a second, Abraham believed God. So what's, what's the basis of his justification? Why, how was he justified? Not by his works, but because he what, believed God. You can imagine them processing this idea for the first time. This idea, he points to the idea of an employee. He says, well, if, it'd be one thing if he had earned a wage and it was due him, but this is not the case with Abraham. Scripture points to the fact that Abraham was far from fully obedient to God in all of his dealings. If you think about it, if you know the story of Abraham at all, some of the things that he did, I thought some were pretty interesting. The fact that when ever two different times when he'd get in trouble or be in a risk where his life was at, at stake because of uh, his, his family and he had, had a, a beautiful wife named Sarah, he would lie about his wife being his sister, I'm like I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. So he he'd blame her. This is my sister. I don't even know who she is, you know? Like that I mean uh, she's not my wife and so he kept multiple times lied about it. and then and then what do we also learn about Abraham in scripture? What else what other flaw did he have? When Sarah wasn't able to get pregnant, what did he do? Took th- things on into a, into his own hands and and slept with his servant Hagar uh, and and what's Wait a second, he slept with Hagar to get pregnant to get the child that he wanted. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not exactly biblical. I don't think we're allowed to do that. And, and so like, you, can, you couldn't make the case that he was perfectly righteous. He said in case, in case Abraham's not a big enough deal, David came to the same conclusion. That's what he says here. He says David had the same conclusion. He said that somebody's blessed when God doesn't hold their sins against them. He spoke, David definitely spoke from experience, and he he said he definitely understood grace. He quotes Psalms 32, 1 and 2 there in that section. So two different examples picking on, pointing out two different heroes that fell short. What's pretty awesome, though, is God was willing to count Abraham's imperfect faith as righteousness. Isn't that good news? In good news for us today, that imperfect faith is okay, that God is willing to make that, that uneven exchange, if you will. think about that idea of an uneven exchange. Take a, well, I'll t- take your meager, mediocre faith here and I'll exchange that for perfection before God. I'll make that that bigger better. Anybody grow up in the church and do that game bigger and better. A lot of times youth groups do this. Josh, have you done that with a youth group before? What's the biggest thing you came back with? Yeah, it's the junk that people wanted to get rid of, right? And uh, so I remember when we were in uh, at Judson University, we played the game with a bunch of college-age students. And they sit, and this is the way it works: you start with a penny. Is that what you guys started with? Something small, and then you have different teams, and they have to go out and try to exchange that for something bigger and better. You get the idea. And so they're constantly trying to like barter and say like, what can you trade me for this? And then they get something bigger, try to trade that for something bigger and better. I remember one time we did this with college students at Judson University and the teams are coming back and you're like, oh, cool, you got a lamp. You got this, whatever, nice job. And then this group comes pulling up in a new car, not a new car, but a car with the title in hand, they had been given a car in this game that actually run, ran. I was like, this is sweet. See, you guys should go out and play that game again, right? So, but, but this idea here is bigger and better is that God, in his kindness, it had nothing to do with how great his righteousness was or how great his faith was, was willing to exchange something bigger and better, perfection before a holy God was the exchange for one simple thing. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now this needs a, a little more explanation. So in verse 9, he explains how grace works. And this is a, our long section of the passage. So this is where you guys need to loosen up, kind of do some stretches. You guys ready for a long section of scripture? Can we handle it? Tell the person next to you, you can do it can do it cheer him on all right so this is a starting of verse 9 we're gonna finish in verse 17 all right says this is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness how then was it counted to him was it before or after he had been circumcised it was not after but was uh, but before he was circumcised he was he received the sign of circumcision A lot of times, that use of that word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the promise, heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise a rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritant of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made to you the father of many nations, the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." <sighs> exhale. You made it. Good job, you guys. So, so here's the the quick summary of that section. Is really he's getting across one big point, and this big point is this: Abraham's justification had nothing to do with his actions. It had nothing to do with his actions. Basically, he's saying it was by grace alone. Paul then systematically eliminates. The Jewish, is, Jewish folks' c- typical things that they thought justified them. What are the two big ones there? The first big one was circumcision. They, they, he said, listen, the case that he makes there, what's the, did you notice what case he makes about that? He was saying, God pronounced Abraham righteous in Genesis 15, 16. Abraham was circumcised in Genesis 17, which was a 14-year gap. So he's trying to make this case Is how could he be justified because of being circumcised when that happened 14 years later. It doesn't work like that. Are you tracking with me? So that's the first argument that he dispels is he puts off that is definitely not because of circumcision. The idea of circumcision was just that it was a, like baptism today as an outward expression of an inward decision. It was a way of displaying what had happened already in one's heart. You can see though how that can get easily confused even today think in our own world it's easy to get the outward expressions of being uh, of having your life transformed and inviting Christ in it starts to change your your behavior the way you interact with people around you you could easily see why why somebody would think that it was the actions that justified you and not the faith which was at the root and so he's getting to the fact no it's not from the it's the inward thing it's not the outward thing so definitely not by circumcision Definitely not by the law. In verses 13 through 15, in that big section I read, he even says it in verse 13, he says it didn't come through the law. Similar case there. How could it be through the law when the law that they've elevated didn't come for another 430 years? So he's like, that, that, that definitely ain't it. That's definitely not the reason that you're justified. It can't be because it didn't even exist at that time. So he's breaking it down. He's breaking it down. Definitely bought not by the law. Basically, here's the summary and the truth about Abraham. Abraham was a Gentile from an adulterous land, uncircumcised and without the law. So he's like, Man, if he's justified. Then how in the like how in the world do your cases for the 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 means by which somebody's justified, how do they even make sense? So he's pointing to this example though that they all respected and basically breaking it down. Breaking it down. He points to the fact in verse 16 through 17 that we read that grace is offered to everyone. This is really good news. What does he say? That it rests, the, the promise rests on grace. It depends on faith. This is hard for us to really allow to sink in because aren't we in a world, in a culture, where it's always an exchange? You perform this way, and then you get this in return. Think about the, the system of our, our, work, our work system, our jobs. I have a good friend that's in medical equipment sales, and, uh, and he says, he's like, man, I've been doing this for 15 years, and it doesn't matter how long I, I've done this and how successful I've been the only thing that matters is what my numbers were the last quarter. Anybody else in a scenario like that at work? Or it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. It's all about your current performance. It's all about your current c- performance. And here he's pointing out that, hey, that's not how God operates with us. It's good news. It rests on grace. It depends on faith. And so it, gone are the days of desperate attempts of appeasing or pleasing God says this, and it's good news for everybody. It says, I have made you the father of many nations, of many nations. That's kind of a, a confusing thing because you're like, man, I thought all these promises were just for, for Jews. This is encouraging because this kingdom that is inviting us to is for many nations, for all. It's an invite to each one of us. We'll talk about it a little bit later, the idea of us all being in the same family. He concludes that section where we're describing what most believe was Jewish conversion, life from the dead, then Gentile conversion is a new creation, something that came that, that didn't even exist, different stories, same family. Look at the basis for this again in verse 18 that he says the basis for this was his belief. He clung to the promise that God gave him. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. And listen to this. I love this verse. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. She was about 90. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, listen to this, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I love that picture. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, and that's why it was counted to him as righteousness. That was the exchange. What a beautiful picture of faith. Throughout history, listen to this, Throughout history, the essence of salvation has not only been to believe in God, his existence, but to believe God, his promises, the promise that came to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. Abraham believed all God promised despite seeming impossible. What did it say there? It said, he would not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. I love that he wasn't bound just by looking at his circumstance. You remember the promise that was made to him? The promise was made that he was going to have these generations of kids, and it's going to, it was going to be a full family. And you imagine hearing that promise at a hundred years old with a barren wife? You're like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that. I don't know if I'm uh, that. That promise seems like it's a false promise. Like I, I don't know if I'm big. Uh, if I'm buying into that. But here's a, the, the truth is, the question for us today in response, what promises do each one of us need to cling to this morning? What promises has God given us that we need to cling to? He took this promise that seemed completely impossible. It's like, I'm clinging to that. Not because I, 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 of my own uh, ability, but simply because who's making the promise. The question for us today is, is what promises do we need to cling to i'll just present one a proposal of one that i think we have a hard time clinging to jeremiah 29 11, you could probably say it with me for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to what prosper you not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future think about just that one simple promise how are we doing with just clinging to that in our circumstances in our situation? Are we are are we finding hope in that? Is that one that we're like, you know what? I can't I don't know what's gonna happen here with this medical situation. I don't know what's gonna happen here with this job situation, I don't know what's gonna happen here. But I am clinging to the promise that I have a sovereign God that's in control, there's nothing that falls outside of his hand, and the awesome truth that he has my best interest in mind. Like what a powerful, beautiful thing. To cling to how are we doing with clinging to the promises we know are in scripture i don't know how or when but i know who i don't know how or when but i know who like this quote by john calvin he says we can't fasten our minds to our eyes can't fasten our minds to our eyes in other words just the things that we see a lot of times you could look around and be like I don't see how this situation's gonna work out. It's gonna end poorly. And you can't fasten your eyes to your mind. You have to separate those and say, you know what? God works outside of our circumstances. We're not bound by that. We'll conclude with these last couple verses here. This picture of adoption I would propose says this, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Those are some powerful words right there. I love uh, the, the picture when you think about how it is of coming into the family of Christ. I love, I think one of the most powerful pictures is the picture of adoption. I don't know if you know of somebody that has adopted or maybe even someone in your family, somebody close to you or a, f- a friend, but uh, my growing up, or I'm not saying growing up, the last 10 years, I've gotten uh, to be pretty close friends with a guy in Chicago, his name's Dustin, and uh, his wife, Rachel Slezak, and they, they were, uh, while I was on staff at Harvest in Chicago, just sit, my office was actually right next to them, and they had a, a family, they had four boys in their, their family, and uh, all of them were uh, boys that they had, and then they felt, both of them, united in this, both felt like God wasn't finished with their family yet, which is already a shocker to me, because who has four boys and doesn't think they're finished with their family? <laughs> and, uh, and so, but just uh, talking to Dustin, he was telling me the story of how they really felt a, a tug that God wanted them, that their, their, their family wasn't complete yet. So he said, you know, we started exploring it, and we started to see in the adoption process how expensive and what a, what a difficult process it was. It was they started with just kind of unpacking. The further they got in, just realizing, man, this is, this is a big undertaking. But they kept clinging to the, the fact that God had laid it on their heart, that they weren't done with their, their family. So they ended up being directed to an adoption agency in, in China and getting connected with a, a sweet little girl in China. But they ca- came to discover after the, going through the process that the little girl that they wanted to adopt, she had a cleft palate and would need a series of surgeries before she'd be permitted to be adopted and brought into the states. So then they discover, well, that's a whole nother $15,000 of surgeries that they needed to raise money for, and so this process was over years and years, and you'll even see when you show a picture of her in a second, that it wasn't until she was like two and a half or three that she was finally uh, adopted, and, uh, but, but it was neat because watching that process with them got a little picture of the same thing that maybe Abraham went through. Man, you, it seemed like such a great idea, but then you start getting into it, and it's a long process, and that's the extent that God the Father went for us. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll this out, not maybe the way that you thought I was going to roll this out, not coming as the reigning king or or leader. I came as a servant in Jesus Christ, lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice for your sins in order to be restored so that you could be adopted into the same family, the same Abraham family, some couple thousand years later, the same one that the promise was, was made to. You are... Or have the potential to be the stars, the numbers as numerous as the sand of the kingdom of the family that was described to Abraham so many years back. So, what does it say in the text there? It says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. For ours also. We were invited. Be a part of that family too. Like we have, a, get to get to celebrate that birthday. Here's a little picture of Naomi, as her her name on our, her birthday uh, when she's celebrated when she's brought into the family. The same picture is for us. We can have the same path. How do you get there? How did he get? How did he get there? It was through belief. What does he say here? You have the same exact path. It's a. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. We have that invitation to be adopted into that family, and you think about that. Man, why would anybody not say yes to that? Why would somebody continue out there familyless and wandering and really no hope or security for their future? Why would someone stay in that place? You think about it, I was flipping through our church directory, and how Abraham was a, a picture of grace, really aren't we all pictures of grace? I was flipping through, these are just random picture of grace right there, the Moss family, next family here, picture of of grace, the Massey family, picture, there's pictures of uh, the Star family, pictures of grace, pictures of Stan Deacon, what church has somebody named Stan Deacon that functions as a deacon? (laughs) Like how (laughs) awesome is that? Pic- picture picture pictures of grace standifers. like you know like there's there's just picture and picture so this was paul's picture he says i'm going to show you a picture of abraham that's a, a picture of grace we can keep scrolling through pictures all morning here but 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 isn't that us too aren't we just a picture of grace i'm a picture of grace like i i fail regularly i blow it i do dumb stuff but it's thankfully it's not based on my works it's based on what my belief in him in the God that interceded on my behalf amen? amen let's close with that picture in our mind dear God thank you so much for this reality this picture that Paul painted to help make some sense out of it for his audience that if Abraham their hero was justified simply by faith wouldn't that be the same for us today not based on our works or anything we've done, but he extended that invite. He wanted all of us to be invited into the same family, under the same God, the same Father. Thank you so much, God, for including us in your family, including us in the invitation. It's an awesome, beautiful truth that we're pictures of your grace. Pictures of your grace. In Jesus Christ's name, amen amen in a world full of visual learners it's awesome to think of us as a picture of his grace right i want to ask you just for two minutes if you could have a seat i just want to take a minute to just wrap up with one last thing i want to invite up speaking of pictures of god's grace i wanted to wrap up our service with just a a quick uh, goodbye to the brookmans ron and carolyn ron and carolyn i we don't always get to say goodbye to to families in our church but they're they're moving to be with their grandkids and uh up in i was reading this polson am i saying that polson montana and so moving in with her son and and grandkids and a chance to be closer to family and we don't always get a chance to say goodbye to everyone but there's only, to my knowledge, one other family that's been at ABF longer than the Brookmans. So it's just the the Burrows family. I think came in '73 or '74, and then uh, and then the Brookmans came in 1977. So 38 years at, at this church. And so what a what what a testimony. Of God's grace and faithfulness and they weren't just like sitting behind not doing anything sitting on their hands they've been involved with so much I was reading a little overview of that from Ron this week and Ron uh, Ron originally was part of the worship committee in the 70s he led congregational singing Sunday evenings which is pretty cool as part of musical stuff then he moved his skill set behind scenes started our tape ministry back when that was relevant and then moved to uh, a video ministry. Uh, some of us still—it's relevant, right? Move to a, a vi- move to a vid- to video, and uh, co- coordinates our uh, yeah CDs and all that. So coordinates our runs our website. He does all these different things behind the scenes every single week. If you've ever been blessed by watching a sermon later online when you slept in on Sunday mornings, it's because he recorded that. And so, just so grateful for his faithfulness just the thank, thankless job behind the scenes so often. And, and Carolyn, it's hard to know where to start with her. One of the biggest testimonies to her faithfulness is 37 years leading in sparks with our Awana ministry. (laughs) 37 years. So, so she, she started when I was five. And so it's pretty awesome to think about how many little kids' lives were impacted because of her faithfulness in that and leading women's bible studies for many years was on staff with us leading our children's ministry for seven years and just both of them just testimonies of faithfulness and we're not going to just miss you because of what you've done here we're going to miss you because of who you are and so grateful for both of you and so just want to take a minute uh, we have a uh, there's a group of lady ladies that put together uh, something as a just a tribute it's a, a quilt and so that's something ladies can appreciate. Ron, you'll just have to deal with that. But, uh, but, but this is really neat. This is kind of a, a summary of lives impacted. On one side, it has stories of people uh, that, that wrote just testimonies of the impact they've had on their life. And on the back, it's kind of neat. They had name after name of kids from Awana and uh, just a, a testimony to their faithfulness, and God working in and through you, so that's one more time, put your hands together, thank Ron and Carolyn, we're going to miss you. We'll just, cl- we'll just close our time, and they have a, a reception afterwards, if you want to give a chance to give some big awkward hugs that would be great uh but let me pray for them just as they go dear lord thank you so much for both ron and carolyn and it's such a a gift to this community and such a a big piece of the the foundation of this church and we're so thankful that you've used them that they've been faithful in your different callings over the many years and investing in people and pouring their lives out i pray now as they start this new chapter and ministry in their life I love that they keep saying they're not finished yet. They've got more work to do. And so I pray that you'd use them mightily in the ministries that you have ahead of them. Thank you and praise you for your faithfulness and them even uh, perfectly aligned with this this morning's message as a, as a picture of your grace. Pray this all in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Have a wonderful day.